the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen Now the reason why David is able to start in an upbeat tone here is because it's actually a contrast. He's actually saying to us, I'm happy now. <laughs> but let me tell you something, it wasn't always like that. Because emotionally, I was miserable when I had unconfessed sin in my life. When I didn't deal with the stuff and the junk in my life with God, I was miserable. I was unhappy. That's why he's able to say, now that he's come through all this, oh, how happy. I know firsthand, he's saying, oh, how happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven by God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. After having an affair with Bathsheba, David did all that he could to cover up his sin. It ultimately led to the death of Bathsheba's husband. Pastor Gary teaches us today that after David's cover-up, he was consumed with guilt and regret. It was not until David confessed his transgressions to God that he was able to find peace. We too must come before God and confess our sins if we wish for peace. Only through Christ is sin forgiven, and only when it is forgiven will we be able to truly live free. Confess your sins to Jesus and allow Him to cleanse you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 32 for part one of today's message titled, The Heart of Confession. Here we are in Psalm 32 for this morning. I'm going to read all of it. It's only 11 verses. And then we'll pray and take a look at what God would have to say to us through the pages of the book of Psalms. Psalm 32 says, Of David, a maskil, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. 
I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. All right, for you note-takers, a little lesson before we actually dive into the chapter. Psalm 32 is considered what's called a penitential psalm. No, this is not a song to be sung in jail. Penitential just simply means a psalm that expresses regret, remorse, repentance, or sorrow. There are seven psalms in the book of Psalms that are considered penitential psalms. These are those chapters, Psalm 6, Psalm 32, where we are today, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, 102, 130, and 143. Seven psalms in the book of Psalms that are considered penitential psalms. These are uh, songs of contrition, remorse, repentance, uh, sorrow, uh, particularly over sin. And so we come to chapter 32 today. And before we actually look at chapter 32, I want to share just a little bit from one of the other penitential psalms, probably the most familiar of the penitential psalms, which is chapter 51. If you'll take your Bibles and go to chapter 51, I'm not going to read all of it, just wanted to highlight a little bit because it does relate to chapter 32. And so for a moment, if you'll go to chapter 51, and if you'll notice with me, if you have found your place there at Psalm 51, there is a subtitle underneath the chapter heading of Psalm 51, and it says this, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So we specifically know the background and the reason behind the writing of Psalm 51. It is written by David, and he wrote it after he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet about his sin with Bathsheba. It is probably the largest stain on David's life. Even if people don't know anything that David did, if you know a little bit about David's life, the thing that comes to mind for many people is the fact that he did cheat. He committed adultery. He had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And the Bible tells us, just to summarize the story in case you're not familiar with it, that when Uriah, the the husband of Bathsheba, was off fighting war and David was the king of Israel, David is strolling on the palace one spring afternoon when it says that kings should have been at war. Instead of going to war, David was alone, and he was strolling the roof of his palace, and he looked out over to his neighbor's house, and it was common in those days that the roof was an extension of a home, and there was bathing Bathsheba. David saw her, lusted after her, and sent for her. He committed adultery with her. She got pregnant. Then things spiral out of control because, you know, when you sin, then you have to try to do things to cover up your sin if you don't take it to the Lord, and so what David did was... He tried to get Uriah to come back from battle and sleep with his wife so then everybody would think the baby conceived was Uriah's, the husband of Bathsheba. So David is the king, grants permission for Uriah to get a little R&R, calls for him to come from the battlefield home. But those of you who were soldiers and sailors and Marines and airmen and women, you you know how it is. If you're called away from battle and you feel like you're you're not doing what your brothers and sisters are are doing, and so the camaraderie in warfare means that Uriah didn't want to go home and be with his wife because he was thinking about his brothers back in the battlefield. He's like, how can I go home selfishly and enjoy my wife and have a nice meal and sleep with her when everybody else is risking their lives? 
So he sleeps instead at the at the threshold of the palace, and then the next night, David tries to move him closer, and he sleeps at the threshold of his own home, but he never goes in and sleeps with his wife. Well, now David's in a predicament because he can't cover up his sin. Everybody's going to know Bathsheba got pregnant, and it wasn't Uriah. And so David does something even more unspeakable. He gives a little message on, in written form, sends it with Uriah to give to General Joab, and the instruction was this, put Uriah at the fiercest point of the fighting on the front lines of the battle, and then pull back your forces and let him stand alone there so that he would die. That's what happens. Uriah dies in battle. David thinks to himself, I've covered up my sin. Now I will be this hero of a king who takes home a grieving widow who has just lost her husband in battle, and then everybody will think the baby's mine and everything's good. Well, everything's not good. You can't cover up your sin. How many of you know the difference between covering up your sin and when God covers over your sin? Covering up your sin is when you try to hide it. When God covers over your sin, he forgives you. and he covers over your sin, he blots it out. That's a whole different thing altogether. David was in this habit, in this mode of, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to cover up my sin. Only it makes matters worse when you try to do that. And it did for David. God sent Nathan the prophet to David. And Nathan confronts David. And when David is confronted, to his credit, he does own up. And he becomes immediately broken. He's conscience-stricken. He realizes this is true, and I've sinned against the Lord. And he writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a very raw psalm about his emotions, about his sin, about his uh, contrition and brokenness. He's a broken and and a man of sorrows in Psalm 51. And I just want to highlight a little bit from Psalm 51. If you'll notice first two verses, he says, he pleads for mercy. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And further down, still here in Psalm 51, verse 10, David writes, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then he writes the next verse, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Now, most Bible scholars believe that Psalm 32 is a fulfillment of the promise that he makes here in Psalm 51 when he says, one day I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. Now again, a lot of the Bible is not necessarily in chronological order. And this is probably one case where Psalm 32 probably follows Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the raw emotion. He's been caught about his sin of adultery. So he writes Psalm 51, a psalm of contrition and repentance. He's very sorry. But then he makes this promise in Psalm 51. He says, one day I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. And that sinners will turn back to you. One day, Lord, I'm going to use my sin, my failure, my mess to become a message. My test will become a testimony. And one day when I have it all together, I'm going to help other people understand how they can recover from their sin and be in a right relationship with you. So most Bible scholars believe that's what Psalm 32 is. Psalm 32 is his testimony after the fact now. It's a psalm that he writes as a testimony to help other people and to instruct other people, hey, learn from my mistakes. Okay, by the way, go back to Psalm 32 now. 
By the way, this is why Psalm 32 in the little tiny subtitle is called a maskil. In the subtitle of Psalm 32, it just simply says, of David, a maskil. A maskil is a Hebrew word that basically means an instructive song. This is intended to be an instructive psalm. Maskil, that's what it means. This is to be taught. This is to be learned. And there's much to learn here. Because David is going to kind of just fillet himself wide open. He's going to say, listen, I've, I've done some terrible things. I've sinned against God. And I've repented from that sin. And God has restored me. And I want you to understand how to be restored. That's what Psalm 32 is all about. Now, there's a key verse in Psalm 32, and it's verse 5. If you look at it again with me, and if you want to underline it or highlight it, but verse 5 says this. David says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, he's talking to the Lord, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, right there where verse 5 ends, I want your eye to look all the way to the interior of your Bible, right where the seam is. You'll see a little word there, selah. Do you see that? Right there at the interior, right against the, the seam of the Bible, it says selah. It's mentioned actually a few times through chapter 32, and it's often written off to the, to the right side of the margin. And it is a Hebrew word that means stop and contemplate. In other words, it literally means pause right there. And you'll find it all through the Psalms because it is God's way of saying, I want you to read what you just read and pause and contemplate it. So I'm going to read it again, okay? Because Selah is there for a reason. Verse 5 says again, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Now the key word in the key verse, verse 5 there, the key word is confess. So circle that word there because that is important to this whole remedy of how do you go from being completely humiliated and broken to being restored with God. And that's why verse 5 is, a, is an important verse and that's why the word confess in verse 5 is the key word because David says there in verse 5 I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So we're going to talk about confession this morning and what it means and how we do it. But first, before we unpack all of that, I want you to notice with me what David said was the impact on his life before he confessed his sin to God. Unconfessed sin will take a toll in our lives. And he he alludes to it in the beginning verses of chapter 32. And it's important for us to realize that what he says here in preparation for us understanding how to be restored is that we have to first realize the toll that unconfessed sin takes in our lives. And it takes a toll in three ways, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. If you'll notice the way that he starts the psalm in verses 1 and 2, he actually starts in an upbeat tone. In verse 1, he says, "'Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are recovered.'" And in verse 2, he says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. It's like a little mini beatitude here, similar to Jesus' beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. It's like, blessed is the one, blessed is the one. And the Hebrew word for blessed is esher. And it literally translates, oh, how happy. 
You know, there's a common name now that people are naming their kids, Asher. Asher comes from the Hebrew root word, Esher, and it means, oh, how happy. And literally, verses 1 and 2 read like this. Oh, how happy is the man or woman whose transgressions are forgiven. Oh, how happy is the man or woman whose sin the Lord does not count against him or her. You know, our world is obsessed with trying to discover true happiness. And I guarantee you, true happiness will never be discovered apart from understanding how to have a relationship with God that is open and right through confession of sin. You will never be happy in life until you get right with God. And getting right with God starts with this whole concept of confession. Now, the reason why David is able to start in an upbeat tone here is because it's actually a contrast. He's actually saying to us, I'm happy now. <laughs> but let me tell you something, it wasn't always like that. Because emotionally, I was miserable when I had unconfessed sin in my life. And I didn't deal with the stuff and the junk in my life with God. I was miserable. I was unhappy. That's why he's able to say, now that he's come through all this, oh, how happy. I know firsthand, he's saying, oh, how happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven by God. There's true happiness in being in a right relationship with God. But when you're not right with him, it takes an emotional toll here. And so this is what he's describing here. It's, it's a converse application to the emotional toll. And every single one of us understands this. Deep down, we get this. If you have done something wrong and you don't make it right, you're tormented emotionally. You know, unless, you, unless you're a sociopath, sociopaths detach you know, feelings of remorse from stuff they've done wrong. But otherwise, whether you're a Christian or not, God has given us a conscience. And when we violate our conscience because we don't do something that is right, instead we do something that is wrong and then we don't deal with it, we just try to cover it over, cover it up, we're tormented by this. It becomes tormenting in our minds. We become restless. We can't sleep well. It becomes debilitating sometimes. It haunts us until we make it right. A guilty conscience weighs us down. Our mind has no rest when we have harbored unconfessed sin. So it takes an emotional toll. Secondly, David expresses here that it takes a physical toll. If you look at verse 3, he says this, When I kept silent, okay, when I didn't deal with this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. All day long, he says, I was physically a mess. In fact, one of the other penitential psalms is chapter 38. If you just want to glance a little bit ahead to chapter 38, I'll read two verses from chapter 38 where David expresses a similar thing about the physical toll that unconfessed sin takes. In chapter 38, verse 3, he writes, Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. Further down in verse 7, he says, My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. David is describing what happened to him physically when he had unconfessed sin in his life. David says, basically, the, the more I hid my sin, the weaker my body became. There is a correlation between unconfessed sin and physical health. There just is. Now, I am not saying, and I want everybody to hear me on this, I am not suggesting that if you've been diagnosed with, with something terrible, 
that it must mean that there's some unconfessed sin in your life. Uh, Good godly people can still get sick because why? We live in a fallen world and this fallen world is filled with sin and sickness and disease. And one day we will leave this fallen world when you know Christ and you'll go to be with the Lord where there is no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. In the meantime, we have to put up with some stuff in this lifetime. So I don't want to imply that if you have a sickness, it must be because there's unconfessed sin in your life. Truth be told, in a broader sense, there is a correlation between sin and sickness in some regard, but I, I would never want to just disparage your situation by saying, well, if, you, if you've got a disease, it must be unconfessed sin. Okay, that's not, that's not what David is trying to say here, and that's not what I'm implying. What I'm saying, what, what David is saying here is that when you harbor unconfessed sin in your life, it is like poison in your body. It's like poison to the bones. And David says, I felt it. I, I, I was sick. I was sick to my stomach. I was sick in my body because I wasn't right with God. And it started to take a physical toll on my life. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body. But it also adds, But envy rots the bones because it's sin. So when you're at peace with God, it actually gives you some physical well-being. When you're not right with God, it takes a toll on you physically. Those of you in the mental uh, health profession and those in the medical field, you understand there is a correlation between physical well-being and what I would call spiritual well-being. Okay, now, absent God, they they would simply say your mental well-being. Okay, but there is a correlation. But listen, folks, sin issues, sin, bitterness unresolved issues and anger and resentment those are heart issues those are spiritual issues and until you get to the root of the spiritual issue you you may not be well off physically okay i make room i understand there's some genuine mental illnesses and and we're thankful for the professionals who can help treat some mental illnesses Those, those are legitimate okay But what I'm saying is that there are some people who have physical or mental challenges, some who have physical or mental challenges, and it actually has the root of a spiritual issue. And then if they'd get their heart right with God, they'd begin to see just how freeing they they would become physically and perhaps even mentally. Because there's a correlation between when you're not right with God and you've got unconfessed sin and, and you've got bitterness and unforgiveness and all these other kind of stuff in your spirit, until you get right with God, that stuff is like poison. And you can be medicated all day long for that kind of stuff. But if it's a spiritual issue, no medicine, no therapy, nothing else will help except confessing it before God and getting right with him. And this is important to understand. David says, it was like rotting my bones when I kept my sin hidden from God. So it takes an emotional toll. It takes a physical toll. It also takes a spiritual toll. He writes here also in chapter 32, verse 4. First part of verse 4, he says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That's what he's saying to the Lord. He said, Day and night, man. Lord, you didn't let up. In my waking hours, you were heavy-handed with me. And when I went to sleep at night, your hand was heavy with me. And here's what he means. And we can relate. If you've ever not dealt with sin with God, you feel the pressure of God on your life. He doesn't mean here a literal hand was heavy. He means figuratively. He's saying, I felt the pressure of God on my life when I didn't deal with the junk in my heart. I felt it, Lord. I felt it in my spirit. There was a heaviness of my spirit when your hand was upon me because I wasn't dealing with 
my sin issues. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.